On this episode, I interviewed James Morhan, who's a senior performance nutritionist with the Bristol Bears. We first spoke on this podcast about athletes trying to add lean mass. He talked about how he communicates to the athletes as well as the staff around him, talks about his main principles and focuses trying to add lean mass. We then shifted towards losing fat mass and is the same thing, the main principles he tries to focus on during that education to the athlete. We talked about his stance on wearables and an app he uses to try and help his athletes fuel. We talked about how he tries to make performance the focus and not just calories in, calories out. We then shifted into more of the injury standpoint with focusing on how he likes to fuel athletes post-injury. We talked about the stages of preoperatively, postoperatively, and then the return to performance and his focuses on each of those. And then finally, we touched on how he supplements and the nutrition recommendation he's, he gives post-concussion, which was an interesting chat. There's a lot of great information in this podcast. Here it is. Welcome to No Week Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on James Morhan, who is a senior performance nutritionist with the Bristol Bears. So thank you very much for taking the time to be on today, James. Uh, main topics we'll go over is obviously the nutrition standpoint, especially for, spields, for field sports, in, um, including rugby. So I guess first off, before we get into it, if you just want to give a little bit of background on yourself, previous experiences, and how I get into uh, sports nutrition and where you are today. Yeah, awesome. Look, thanks for the invitation and I'm um, excited to, to have a good chat today. Look, my, my background is, um, I, I tell this quite often, but 18 to 21, um, I was a snowboard instructor living in Canada. I had no passion or vision to go to university or study sport at all. Um, so I had three years just kind of living on the mountains and chasing the snow, which was amazing. And then at 21, um, then was the drive, I guess, to go and study at university. I think most people that work in sports science are probably failed athletes to some degree. And that's why we all want to work in sport, because we've got that love and passion for it. And so I used to play rugby as a kid um, and ultimately wanted to work in rugby as I got older. So understood that to, to get that role, to get that job, I needed to go and do a sports science degree. That's where my career then started at Liverpool John Moores University up in the northwest of England. And I did my undergraduate there. I did my master's there um, in sport and exercise science, sports physiology. And then I then did my PhD um, at the same university as well. And, and that was primarily based on body composition, change, applied physiology and performance nutrition with professional rugby players. Um, so really fortunate and an amazing time up in Liverpool, had kind of nine, 10 years there in total. So that was kind of the academic journey. And then once the PhD had finished, um, it was time to get a real job and, and work in sport and have a paid income. And that's where I then started a four year journey at the FA, the Football Association in, in England. I worked there for four years with the men's under 21s, the senior women team. My passion was rugby, so it was then how do I navigate my path and journey back into the sport of rugby union? And that's where I then managed to land the role as the lead nutritionist at Bristol Bears, which is where I'm currently working. Um, and alongside that, I've had the contract over the last two years with the 
England women's senior team. Um, outside of that, I support a handful of boxers and also uh, have had a bit of experience in Formula 2, Formula 1, um, some golfers, and then just kind of the, the corporate clients as well. So, yeah, that's me. Yeah, perfect. Thanks. A good um, diversity of experience, which is which is good. And I think we'll maybe dive into some of those topics in the PhD first of – you know, especially in, in rugby and a lot of field sports coming up, one of the biggest things is trying to add lean mass uh, and grow as a physically as players. So I guess just from a general standpoint, maybe uh, talking to players, what are some of the main key points and conversations you have with them? And then uh, if there's anything a little bit more technical-wise that you'd have conversations staff-wise and in ways you'd set things up there, we can, we can chat about that. Yeah, so... I think with the uh, with the players, it's um, I, I guess a, an, an understanding of how energetically costly it is to build muscle mass. Um, and in all of my experience to date, I think some of the most powerful conversations have been where players understand genuinely how much they need to eat um, at regular time points through the day to be able to build muscle mass and to ultimately end that day in a calorie surplus. Um, you know, I've got loads of anecdotal case studies of, of young lads that are trying to grow that are stuck at a weight of like 105. They just can't shift. And then you then bring in the extra three, four, 600 calorie smoothie every single day. You bring in the pre-bed kind of protein hit after dinner before they go to bed and it's two, five, two, 250 to 300 calories extra. And all of a sudden you start to see this weight just kind of trickle upwards. And um, that's probably one of the, the biggest areas that I work on with the boys is getting them to understand the energetic cost of rugby training, the energetic cost of being a rugby player that walks around at 110 kilos and actually how much they can afford to eat from a calorie point of view, but also an understanding of what constitutes a, a good total calorie intake. So what I'm not asking them to do is just eat crap food and, and get calories that way. It's if we eat the right foods at the right times in the right amounts, then we're going to see a real genuine change. And it's quite an exciting period for us now as we enter back into pre-season where We've managed to, um, I've, I've worked tirelessly over the last 18 months to get a, a DEXA ethical approval, which means that all of my players now will have a DEXA scan done and we're going to use this research project to kind of look at um, asymmetry with rugby players to, to see whether we can get a, a, an injury risk prediction, I guess. But what a great opportunity for these boys to genuinely understand and, and know how their body composition is changing. So that would be like the the t key topical area around lean masses is that understanding of total protein intake at regular time points through the day, how much they need to be eating at each of those meal times around that 0.3 to 0.4 gram per kilo of body mass target. Um, and then your second question there was built into, you know, conversations with stakeholders and how important it is to get everybody in the office that I work in to understand what I'm trying to achieve with the players. And, and that's where I've got a great office at Bristol Bears where I'm, I'm in part time. And so when I'm not in, like those guys are my voice and they are the people that are reminding the players of the nutrition strategies. They're reminding them of the 
the first kind of why of why is protein important? Why is creatine important? Why is carbs important pre-training? And and that ability to work with those guys in that office is, is brilliant. Yeah, so I said some of the biggest things obviously is getting those calories that they might not think they need or they think they need a lot less and then also the protein consistently throughout the day. So do you have a general amount of times um, that you want them to hit that protein amount or is it a general throughout the a general amount by the end of the day and, and how do you structure that yeah i mean most nutritionists now will talk about the three t's of nutrition time and type and total so the the total amount of nutrition for my rugby players is probably a minimum of two grams per kilo of body mass so 100 kilo player 200 grams of protein over the course of the day now to get that in one meal is pretty difficult but if you break that down over more windows of opportunities to eat i.e more times then it's quite easy to get that total amount of 200 grams to be consumed so i also advise the players to bookend the day so when you first wake up in the morning you've just had a period where you've actually fasted you you've had no nutritional intake because you've been asleep so it's really important that we start the day with a, a good protein hit so normally we'd probably encourage the boys there to go 50 60 grams of protein at breakfast then throughout the day it's those regular hits of if it's 0.3 or 0.4 gram per kilo you're looking at around 30 to 40 maybe 45 grams and then again as they get to that evening window that kind of last intake before bed if a player can have you know a casein shake made with water uh, sorry with milk and then potentially maybe one of these protein yogurts you're looking at about 50, 60 grams of protein in that 45 minute window before they go to bed. So that would be the the timing and that protein pulsing over the course of the day to allow them to hit that total amount. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with that, obviously not all athletes are going to be the most interested in taking all the time to measure everything and track everything. Um, you get some of them that do and some of them that don't. So do you, how do you go about, do you try and get some people to track and measure? What's your stance on, on tracking nutrition-wise and, and how do you go about trying to get the most benefit um, but still trying to be as realistic and practical as possible? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, mate. And I personally have like never really tracked my nutrition before because I've just kind of understood and known what it is I need to be eating and, and, and how much. With the athletes, I've tracked with uh, boxers that need to make weight and I've tracked with the odd player here and there. But I've, instead of kind of tracking total calorie intake, I've always tried to focus on them understanding and hitting the total macros over the course of the day. So in the kind of um, research review that I did for Nutrition X with Professor Graham Close, we talk about, you know, two to three gram per kilo of carbohydrate content being consumed over the course of the day, you know, two to 2.5 grams of protein being consumed over the course of the day. So I haven't physically kind of got them to dive into a MyFitnessPal and and track every single meal. It's more of that educational piece of at each meal time, this is what that meal should look like, which allows you to build up to the total amount over the day. Having said that, with recent advancements in technology and apps, you know, one of the apps that I'm using a lot in my private practice and we're going to bring into Bristol Bears this season is uh, Hexix, which is the kind of carb coding nutritional periodization app that is now available and, and online. And where that's been really good for me is that it's allowing players to kind of have that 
nutritional periodization within the pocket. And at any time point, they can look in, they can see how much they should be consuming. They can input their food to see whether they're in a negative or a positive energy availability. And there's also a minute by minute live energy function. So if I've got this academy player that's trying to go from 105 to 110, but he can see that he's actually in this negative energy availability because of the training he's had and the low nutritional intake that he's consumed, then it's a real good indication for him to say, oh, God, you know, I, I need to have another two, three hundred calories here to, to bring myself back up. So it's probably now going to be the first time in my career that I do start tracking that energy availability is probably what I would call it rather than tracking calories. It's it's trying to understand whether my players are in that positive energy availability or that negative and, and how that aligns with their goals as being somebody who wants to gain weight or drop weight. Do you have a yeah. wearable for that then or how exactly does does that work? Yeah, so the the app actually has got inbuilt algorithms that uh, based on the literature so published with a senior women team from that study is used within the app the the raw data from some of my work in uh, professional rugby league players looking at total energy expenditure from w labor water is used within the app so the moment that you kind of tell the app that you're a rugby union player and you're at a professional level it then uses the data that's in the background to then predict your energy expenditure of the day based on the exercise that you're telling the app that you're doing. So, you know, if I input that I'm doing a running session in the morning after breakfast, but before lunch, and it's 60 minutes long, it's a light training session, based on the fact that I'm trying to gain weight, it will then tell me, right, based on the information you've given us, we think that your carbohydrate content at breakfast should be X. We think that your carb content at lunch should be this based on the fact that you're trying to put that weight on. So for years as nutritionists, and certainly me, you know, we used to design and, and build them ourselves on PowerPoint or, you know, on, on Canva or whatever it might be. Whereas actually now it's it's all within the app. So if we can onboard athletes onto that, then it, it not only does it save us a lot of time, but it, it gives us another ability to coach the athlete through the app. Yeah. Okay. And then that still has a lot of individualization that you get to do as well. It just gives a general baseline. And then depending on what it is, you can, you can adjust as needed. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, having got friends and, you know, my wife used to compete as a fitness athlete anyway, but having friends that are in the fitness world, like they they are guys that genuinely track every single calorie to the amount of like milk or green beans that they're having. I don't think I've ever worked with a, a team sport athlete that tracks it that closely. And so then in my eyes, it's like, why are we trying to chase a, a total calorie number for the day if you're not going to track it properly in the first place? What we should probably focus on is, are you fueling enough for training? Are you recovering enough from training to allow the body to grow muscle, build muscle, recover muscle? And that's where I think the carb coding with Hexix is is going to be a massive help for practitioners to to try and look after a team of 45 rugby players at the same time. That's where it's going to be key. Yeah, okay. So providing that individualization for more of a fueling performance standpoint, shifting the mindset, um, which, which yeah, will be interesting. That should help a lot, eh? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. With um, On this topic too, obviously it's going to be 
you probably it depends and it varies depending on training age, et cetera. But do you have general recommendations for how quickly you're trying to you would like to add that lean mass as as you go along? Yeah. I think it does depend on age. Um, what I saw in some of my research in rugby league was that, you know, we, ha- we had 17, 18 year olds that were already at 120 kilos. So, but in the same squad, I had a halfback who was 65 kilo. So at that age, I think you're the variance in the development of young adolescent rugby players is massive. And it's then just an uh, awareness piece for nutritionists, SNCs and coaches to say, look, it, it would be a bit of a silly conversation for me to say to a young 65 kilo halfback, you must be 80 kilos in the next six weeks because it's just not going to work like that. What you have to understand and appreciate is that they all progress at their own rate. They all develop at their own um, kind of times. And it's just an awareness piece to say, right, the, the target would be to go from 65 to 70 but we understand that that might take six months and that's fine. But as long as we're kind of trending in the right direction, wicked, you might have another player who puts on 10 kilos in a year. And we've seen that at Bristol bears. And that's probably someone who's a great responder has never really lifted weights before and never really brought into nutrition. And all of a sudden they do all three and boom, they get this big weight gain. Um, So to summarize my work, what we, what we did see was that, um, season to season, so the, the start of pre-season to the end of pre-season in year one, we didn't really see any change within that period. The start of pre-season to the end of pre-season in year two, we didn't really see any significant change in body comp. And the same in season three. Where there was a significant change in body composition with Academy Rugby League players was year one versus year three. So my take home there for coaches is when you've got these academy players coming into your pathway, like at least give them a couple of years to kind of hit the target weights that you're trying to get them to hit. Because if you force it too heavy and too quickly, then they're just going to accumulate tons of fat mass. And then you run the risk of them being too heavy, too quick. And um, unfortunately their bone health and their bone quality can't quite handle that weight yet. So that'd be my summary of that. It's like, in, certainly in my work that I've seen, it's almost like give them a couple of years to get your target weights. Yeah, yeah, that that's those are good points there. And with with that, do you obviously a lot of people look at the at weight and they look at the scales. Are there other things like you mentioned having um, scan IDEXAs as well? Is there other things that you try and track other than just the scale? Yeah, so I, I talk a lot about functional mass, and what I mean by that is. Gone are the days in my practice where I just do skinfold measurement in isolation on its own. What I will always try and report to the player is skinfold assessment, and then I'll then pull up their data for speed scores or counter movement jumps or strength scores or hamstring strength or 1K time trial. And we have really rich conversations at Bristol Bears now where We've had loads of different anecdotal case studies where we've had players that are um, actively gaining weight. Their skin folds have stayed the same, but then their force power strength has gone through the roof. So although I can't detect muscle mass with a skin fold measurement, looking at all of the data together between me, the athlete and the coach, we can be quite confident that 
the weight gain that you've had is actually muscle mass because skin folds have stayed the same and your strength, speed, power scores have all gone through the roof. Now, that's how we track it. That's how we would do it. Um, likewise, we've had other players that, you know, they're trying to drop weight because they've got a holiday coming up. They're not quite doing it the right way. And then skin folds have gone up a little bit because they're probably losing muscle mass and, and not fat mass. And then strength, speed, power has dropped. And in that instance, you know, we're having conversations to the player to say, hey, look, you've actually, you haven't become any more functional. You've actually got less functional as a rugby player because you've you've lost your speed and power because you're trying to chase a better body in the mirror. So that that's how we kind of have our conversations. It's around that functional mass. It's how can body composition and nutrition link into the functionality of you being a better rugby player, whether that's being quicker, jumping higher, lifting more weight in the gym, you know, having a better engine around the field. So that's kind of how we target that, if if that answered the question. Yeah, no, that's that's makes a lot of sense of making sure you're looking at multiple multiple factors. And again, same thing you mentioned before, looking at performance as well instead of just the nutrition standpoint of the weight scale, et cetera, and pairing it all together. So yeah, I think that that's a great idea there. Yeah. You also mentioned just off the back of that, like it's it's allowed it's allowed me to really gel with not only the other athletic performance coaches, but also the players in a in a different different conversation because I think for years nutritionists have been seen as the person that just comes in and does a skin fold and just tells me that I'm fat or they just tell me that I'm 95 mils. Whereas, you know, I I sometimes I'm not really bothered like what number you are. What I'm bothered about is is your body composition supporting you to become a better rugby player or a worse rugby player? So whether you're 65 or 85, what output is that having on you as a rugby player? Like, are you becoming more powerful? Are you becoming quicker? So those those conversations are so much richer when you align it to performance. Yeah, exactly. And that's just it's not just losing fat, gaining muscle. It's actually yeah, aligning it to performance in their sport and, and their occupation, which is, you know, what they want to be the best at so um you also mentioned there doing losing fat or fat mass or um poorly so what are your main focuses there we talked a lot about how you want to gain lean mass and things you try to focus on there is there anything different you do there is it just pretty much the reverse with the with the dropping of fat mass yeah yeah so again i think it's an understanding for the players of um, when when they need to fuel for training and when they don't. Um, I quite often ask the players a reflective question about, you know, are, are you just eating the same breakfast, lunch and dinner every day with no consideration of what your energetic cost of that day was? And normally, you know, the, the weekends is a great example. Like I've got players that probably eat the same amount of food at the weekend than they do on like a normal training day. And and my example to them there is that, but you don't have the energetic cost at the weekend. So you don't need as much fuel. You don't need as much carbohydrate. You probably still need the same amount of calories to like maintain your muscle mass and your weight, but we need to reframe where those calories are coming from. So we then, you know, we can draw upon some of the literature from professional football where they do nutritional periodization very well. They do carbohydrate periodization very well. And, and that is for me, the the best way to try and get a little bit of fat mass loss started is 
to understand how much fuel, how much availability you need each day at what period of the day and making sure that ultimately you end the day in a negative energy um, balance. And we'd probably try and target between five, 600 calories negative at the end of each day. And that would be enough to stimulate that fat mass loss. Um, but in my experience within the rugby union guys, it's getting on top of their evening meals. I think a lot of the boys through no nobody's fault, but they try and go through the day, you know, they try and have a focus of stripping fat mass. And then during the day, they're not really eating enough. And they're like powering through training sessions with caffeine. And then they get to the evening when training's finished and then they're starving. And so then what do we all do when we're starving? We just start snacking on stuff that's easy. We have a really big carbohydrate meal because I'm really ravenous and I've trained today. Whereas actually, if we fuel for the training session correctly, pre and post, ultimately when you get to the even a meal, it should be quite light and it should be high in protein, loads of salad, loads of vegetables with a protein hit before you go to bed rather than a massive spag bowl because I'm starving. Yeah, and without without having that app, are there ways other than just or rec or ways that you recommend to go about that periodization without knowing every second of oh, I'm in a surplus, I'm in a deficit, et cetera, of, of how you try and do the best you can without that app? Yeah, I mean, kind of from a holistic bird's eye view, it's you know, let, let's give an example. So I'm I'm an academy rugby player, and I've got a training session. In the morning, I'm doing rugby in the morning, after breakfast, before lunch. And then after lunch, before dinner, I've got a weight session. So for me, I, I then look at that, the energy expenditure during the day and go, well, the majority of it is between 10 and 4. Like that's where I'm most active. So I need a good carbohydrate breakfast. I need a really good lunch to recover from the rugby and get ready for the weights. And then if I do my weight session before dinner, then I'm I'm looking at dinner to say I don't need as the same amount of carbohydrates at dinner than I did at lunch because I'm not fueling for anything in the evening. But what I do need is I, I do need a small amount of carbohydrates to recover and re and repair from that weight session in the afternoon. So you know traffic light system, high low medium carb meals. I could look at that day and go right. I'm going to have a green carbohydrate breakfast and lunch in terms of lots of carbohydrates and then i'm going to have an amber dinner so i'm going to have a moderate amount of carbohydrates at dinner and it, it could be as simple as that if you haven't got the app where a lot of people get this wrong and it's the classic western population way of eating is that a lot of people skip breakfast they're then rushing because of meetings at lunch and they don't really have a lunch or they just nip and snack at stuff and then what do we all do? We finish work, we get home and we're starving. So then we have a massive meal in the evening when it's feet up on the sofa, I'm watching the Champions League final, I'm catching up on, you know, a series on Netflix and energy expenditure has dropped dramatically. Yeah, okay, you know, that makes sense. It's, it's um, I guess it's, you know, it seems simple, but um, when you put it like that, it's just it's just changing up and focusing on the macros as you spoke about before and, and what they do. And I guess once the player knows carbs for energy, protein for recovery, and then yeah, if you chatted that example you just did, I think that that would that helps them immensely there. Yeah, yeah. And then it's you know, we talk about the the combi model, so capability, opportunity, and motivation to want to change. And 
ultimately what we're talking about here is behavior change like the these young lads who have lived with mum and dad you know they, their habits and their behaviors are built on their parents they then come into a rugby environment where you know we're trying to reframe how they eat and we're trying to get them to think about performance nutrition and that takes time to to change a habit it takes time to implement a behavior and ultimately it's it's that routine building it's you know if anyone's read the james clear atomic habits like we know that it takes a number of days weeks or months to make a habit become that behavior and so where that is important for me is it's it's reinforcing that education it's reinforcing that knowledge to the players i've still got players that come into the gym or after the gym without having a shake and i'm like you're a rugby player like you're not you're not the same as your bloke who works in the office in london like you're a rugby player trying to grow repair muscle mass so in my opinion like that that shape pre or post is going to be really important for you so yeah it's um it's habit building really yeah yeah for sure and i think i think that's a pretty good summary currently on like i said the the basics of gaining and losing um gaining lean muscle losing fat mass um so i think on the next topic i really want to talk about and am interested in is the uh, how you approach long-term injuries or injured players we spoke about it a little bit before the show but if you just want to give maybe your general key points you focus on when a player comes in with that's going to be out for you know 10 12 plus weeks months etc you know what what's that initial conversation look like how do you set up a good long-term plan for them and um yeah what are your key focuses yeah so i think the the first area there is like depends on what the injury is um so for example like if, if we have a concussion we you know we have a concussion pack that we will give the player pretty much straight away where we're we're trying to help reduce the the symptoms that are about to come um so there's a little bit of work um in and around creatine intake um omega-3 omega-6 and then curcumin um there are there is some research in and around the ketone esters but it becomes quite expensive when you go down that route um if it's then a soft tissue injury or a bone break where it's like right they've you know hamstrings off the bone or they've they've you know they've got the fracture or there's a clean break or there's a significant tear then that's if if they're going to have an operation and they're going to go in for surgery then i think there's like a phase one that you can do where it's preparation pre-surgery so that might be really ramping up that protein content. Do we put them on a, a loading phase of creatine to make sure that they've got uh, muscle that's full of that creatine before they go in for operation? You know, what can we get on top of before they go in for surgery? Like, have we got a week or 10 days where we can look at trying to reduce body composition, fat mass a little bit before they go in? So there's that phase before. And then I think you've then got the the operation 72 hour window what can they be in in the in the days leading in and then the moment that they wake up what nutrition can we give them then and then you've you've then highlighted you know if you've got a 10 or 12 week rehab phase you've probably got the acute phase response where there's going to be a lot of inflammation there's going to be a lot of immunity um that we're going to have to look after but ultimately you've got a lot of um first phase inflammation that's happening within the body that you probably want to let happen for the first couple of days and then we can target nutrition to try and reduce that get the swelling down and then you've got the phase after that where they're probably going to become a little bit more mobile they're going to be walking around and then you've got that return into the training and then return to play 
I think all of that is there's a consideration of the energy expenditure that's going to drop because they've become immobile. Um, but having said that, that doesn't mean that you want to underfuel your athlete because when someone goes in for surgery and they get cut open and then they get played around with by the surgeon and then they get butchered back together, that's an energetically costly process. It is a massive calorific demand on the body. And so what you don't want to do is underfuel that recovery as they come out of that operation. So in the past, there's great research from uh, Liverpool Football Club back in the day with Jordan Milsom looking at um, like ACL rehabilitation, where they probably underfueled the athlete initially when they they didn't really realise that you know how much he did need to eat. And what you saw there was about a six kilo drop in skeletal muscle mass. Season after, a couple of years later, another ACL happened, and they kept that calorie intake really high in that first phase of that rehabilitation after surgery and that only uh they then they then only saw a kilo drop in skeletal muscle mass because the calorie content was still really high so in terms of kind of supplementation and nutrition i would always approach creatine i think creatine is a non-negotiable to try and look after that skeletal muscle mass you've got i've had players up at three gram per kilo of protein because i want them to have shed loads of protein make sure the calories are nice and high to look after the skeletal muscle mass they've got. We've then also looked at um, your omega-3s, omega-6 to help with the inflammation after the first phase, kind of the antioxidants, you know, mixed berries, uh, vitamin C, um, you know, probiotics, uh, uh, collagen protein, if you want to go down that route with some players. Um, and then, yeah, you know, if it's a if it's a bone break, then there's obviously a consideration for vitamin D3 and calcium as well. Um, and then it's just being quite smart and specific with that periodization of the nutrition. So, you know, when that player gives you the thumbs up or the coach does to say, right, he's he's out of the boot and we're going to start doing a little bit more upper body conditioning. You know, we're going to target um, a little bit more upper body weights because he can now weight bear that's where you might look at your plan and say, right, let's bring in another 500 calories now because you are beginning to do a little bit more. So sorry, that was a little bit all over the place, but I was just trying to give as much as possible. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good summary. And um, would you say in general then you have, you kind of mentioned those different phases. So if you kind of, you break it up as they had the injury, they have that preoperative phase, operation phase, the post kind of acute recovery. Once they start to get back, doing more regular activity the specificity of all the things you talked about goes down and it's more of a general energy consumption fueling and then more that all the extra supplementation and the extra really specific stuff is is more in that early early phases to try and nail the markers or or is you still going to try and do all that and progress that along as you go yeah i think it's i think it's important to keep that in there as as they go i mean like if I was going to strip it back, I would I'd probably say it's the it's the five or six days around surgery that can be really important for the athlete. So, you know, what can they be eating leading into that operation to make sure gut health is working really well? They've got loads of protein going in. Creatine's been on a loading phase. Um, you know, they've been eating oily fish so that they they're going into that operation in the best possible scenario. And then they go under, the operation's done. You've now got an, an amazing amount of swelling, which first couple of days you almost want to let happen because it's part of that process. But then the aim of the game, and I'm speaking to the physios, is 
you know, they can't really do anything while there's a limb that's full of fluid. So the aim of the game then is to try and get that fluid down as quick as possible so that they can start doing a little bit of physio and rehab with that limb. And that's where nutrition can be really important then because I've worked with athletes that have undergone surgery. They felt really sorry for themselves. And then they've just eaten fried food, fast food. They've had a couple of beers, bit, bit of chocolate. They're just feeling sorry for themselves. And I'm like, this is like the most important sensitive time of your body and your recovery from injury. And you've basically given it loads of pro-inflammatory foods. Like you're giving it the exact opposite of what it needs right now. And then that, in my opinion, delays the return to play in 16 weeks time. I think if you get that first six, seven days right after surgery, like you really give yourself a good chance to return to play quicker. And um, and, and and that's where we, we try and support our guys as, as much as possible, even to the point where if somebody's, you know, they've, they've broke their ankle and they're hobbling around on crutches, or you know they've they've had shoulder surgery and they can't physically cook in the kitchen we go down the route of like we'll provide your food for you so i work with a great chef at bristol bears and, and we will actively say to the guys right for the first two weeks we'll look after you like we'll the food at the club we'll package it up we'll make sure it comes to your house so you don't have to worry about ordering in a domino's or you know relying on the missus to make the food you've got it and it's good yeah what are what are some of those key um I guess either anti-inflammatory ones or um, ones that you really want to avoid. Obviously, they mentioned some with fried food there, but is there anything you really want to try and focus on and making sure you are consuming specifically? Yeah, so I, I think oily fish is a great one because it's you know it's full of omega three, omega sixes. It's always a, a good source of protein and actually quite light in nature as well. So it's not going to be that you know filling to a point where you can't then get your other nutrients in as well. So a good protein source fundamentally is, is going to be golden. Um, and then I, I would highly encourage a lot of lads to be thinking about those other antioxidants, like the mixed berries, you know, vitamin C's from oranges, kiwis. Can we start bringing in a lot of the leafy greens? Let's get some good fiber into the gut. Let's make sure that the gut's working on all cylinders to get all of those nutrients in. Um, the opposite of that is the player feels sorry for himself and they're just relying on, frozen pizzas in the oven you know they're, they're ordering the fast food in that's then fried in all of the deep fat oil that we don't want and then yeah a couple of beers because they're like well i'm injured i've got 16 weeks until i play again and it's like not quite what the body needs right now so where possible i encourage all of the guys like if you can be squeaky clean in the first five seven days then you'll have a really good chance of that return to play being shorter yeah no, i like that i think that, that is a good point and, and a good thing to address when, you know, they are injured and have this surgery that they're not allowed, you know, it's, it's hot, harder for them to mobilize, get around, get the food they need. And and as you mentioned, they might be in that state of not feeling too great about themselves. So, um, yeah. you know, I think I, I really liked all that there and in the stages you, you mentioned, um, one thing I want to talk, I know I'm kind of seeing your time here. One thing I want to touch on, um, briefly, is you know you mentioned the concussion nutrition packages and stuff you you put together and um that interested me so do you want to give a, a brief overview more on that if if that's all right of of how and and what you do for that because that's obviously a big topic in rugby as well yeah for sure i'm just um i'm not being rude i'm just pulling it up on my phone here so 
look, this, this is based off of some of the literature in uh, Dr. Bud's book, in, in his nutrition book. So I was just reading through that. And, and what what there is um, a little bit of research around is there's a study by Dean in 2017 showing that potentially a 20 gram per day of creatine for the first seven days after a concussion uh, HIA may help with reducing the symptoms of that fogginess and that dizziness. So if you think about some of the uh, concussion protocols now, yes, they have to do a standard amount of days, but we've also had players that once they've gone past a standard amount of days that they have to follow from governance point of view, if they're still foggy and they're still getting those headaches, then you can't really bring them back into training. And then it's man down and that's not ideal for us. So if we can bring in some creatine to try and reduce that, then it's it's a benefit there. The other benefit there is that they're not lifting weights. They're not in the club. So I'm, I'm then looking at the creatine from a skeletal muscle maintenance point of view to say, if I can load that muscle with shed load of creatine, then that might help rescue a little bit of this atrophy that this player might experience now, considering he's not in the club lifting weights anymore. So we know the head injuries disrupt the brain energy levels, and that's where they're talking about creatine maintaining the cellular energy energy for brain function. From a fish oil point of view, uh, the DHA in the fish oils uh, can be a bit of a neuroprotective and essential for the brain and nerve function. So in with that standpoint, the literature says around two grams of DHA per day is recommended. And there's a study there by Barrett in 2014. And then there's a, uh, a little bit of work around the kind of turmeric, concentrated turmeric. Um, so turmeric increases DHA levels in the brain by increasing the enzymes responsible for converting um, ALA into DHA. And then looking at the literature there, study by um, AGO in 2017, looking at 1,200 milligrams daily in divided doses now it'd be very difficult to get that amount from drinking turmeric and so the concentrated capsules there are probably the, your best bet now concussion is very individual and de- depending on how it was sustained in the first place and who it is and how many they've had before you know it's so individual as, as an injury but I, I look at that in in that book and i think if this helps my player feel 5% better and it helps maintain a little bit of muscle mass, then it's a win for me because they're three supplements that we would use at the club anyway. So if I can give that player a care package after the game and say, mate, not ideal. You've got a 12 day layoff now anyway, but if you can do this, then, you know, it might help and it should help with that muscle mass. If I didn't do that, then I'd, I almost feel like I'd be providing a bit of a nutritional disservice to my players because there's a little bit of literature there. You know, there are three supplements that are very safe. We use them anyway in the club. So I might as well implement that with the boys. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, um, I've heard a little bit about with fish oil and, and stuff previously, but, um, I think that's, that is a great idea too with, with like a care package you mentioned sent home and it has multiple benefits as well, not only just for the, for a concussion standpoint, but also, as you mentioned, with the skeletal muscle, uh, maintenance and, and so on from there. So yeah, I think that's, yeah. And if you that, think like, yeah. Think post game anyway. Let, let's say he gets concussed in seventy eighth minute. He's played a rugby game. He's sore. You know his body is going to be sore. He's got exercise and impact induced muscle damage anyway. So not only is he sore from a body point of view, but he's now got a banging head. 
So what can I do nutritionally to try and help the body and also the, the head get back and feel a little bit better, a little bit quicker? Yeah, no, perfect. I think I think that was a great. Um, all the, everything we just talked about was great. I um, mean, focused on performance, injury recovery, and again, all, make, taking it all away from just you know calories in, calories out to focus on making them better at their sport and trying to get them to become a better player. So, um, thank you very much for taking the time to do that. If you want to just before we go, just shout out where people can follow you, where they can learn more, and I know you offer um, some courses and, and some other things there. So, if you want to talk about that quickly. Yeah, class. Thanks, Pat. And yeah, so I've got, um, I work private practice as well. And um, I do a mentorship program where I look after and help other nutritionists in the uh, injury, in the industry at the moment. Um, And that's really cool. That's really fun. So people can check that out via my Instagram. And then we've actually recently launched the Performance Nutrition Network. And this is a network of um, performance nutritionists across the world anyone can join and it's a place where we all share our weekly wins the bottlenecks that we've got in practice there's resources being shared in there there's documents there's tools um, and people can ask questions you know they can say look i'm having a difficult conversation with a chef you know what what have you guys done that's that's been beneficial in the past and what i want to create here is a, a, a one-stop area where any nutritionist can land in there and learn from others learn from experiences, network with each other and um, and really kind of take their own practice to the next level. So we've got that as well, which people can check out. Um, and then, yeah, look, I'm on, I'm on nutrition. Um, sorry, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on, on LinkedIn. So if people ever want to ask me a question, then, you know, more, more than happy for them to drop me a line. Perfect. Thank you. I'll put all those in the show notes for you. And again, I appreciate your time and, and knowledge. All good. No worries. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoyed the show and could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be greatly appreciated. If you're interested in any other content I put out, you can follow me on Instagram at Coach Patrickwood or Twitter at Coach Pattywood. Thanks again for listening.